Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Hello, and welcome to episode 248 of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with John McCarthy, Montgomery County, Maryland State's Attorney. He's an associate professor at Montgomery College and a former president of the Maryland State's Attorney Association, as well as a former president of the Montgomery County Bar Association. John is the winner of the 2008 D.C. Youth Coaching Hall of Fame. Uh, He was inducted in 2008. Uh, He's also a winner of the J. Joseph Kern Award for Public Service in 2010, and in 2007 was admitted to the American College of Trial Lawyers. John, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jordan. Great to see you again. Excellent. Glad to have you here. So the first thing that I'd like to post to you today is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? Well, I, I think there's a, a number of things. You know, I am now entering my 12th year as state's attorney for Montgomery County, and I will tell you one of the things that I think that we are proudest of is that the things that we talked about 12 years ago doing when I came to this office, I think we have successfully achieved, and I think that we have also identified some of the current challenges, and we're trying to address them as well. Look, the current challenges for us are increasing levels of gang violence in the community, and I think we've been studying this for years. We are in the process of of obtaining uh, and and explaining to both the county executive and the county council some needs we have uh, to meet a rising challenge of gang violence in the community. Uh, We are trying to couple together uh, preventative efforts where we reach out to kids that we think are at highest, highest risk for recruitments into gangs, but at the same time, aggressively identify the leadership in the gangs that have given us a situation where uh, in the last two years, Mm -hmm. little known to most people in Montgomery County, there have been 18 gang-related homicides in Montgomery County. Uh, That is is a shocking number. It is a, a number that concerns me tremendously. I think it concerns the county executive. I think it concerns every member of the county council who's familiar with those numbers. But we live in a community where gang violence of that level typically is less than one a year, so 18 is an enormous number. Uh, I'm also uh, very proud of of the efforts that we've been made recently in in a program we call uh, Speak Up, Save a Life. It's a program that is designed and directed to to basically high school age and middle school kids in the community to speak up when they see individuals who have substance abuse problems. Uh, uh, I think the effort grew out of our trying to do something about the opiate Epidemic that's occurring not only in, in Montgomery County but throughout the state of Maryland and in, in across this country. Uh, the increasing numbers of people losing their lives, young people in particular, uh, in Montgomery County and throughout Maryland, which uh, next this year we'll lose a thousand young people to opiate-related deaths. You know, that's really interesting. Many listeners may know somebody or have been impacted by the Absolutely. opioid epidemic. It's a national crisis, and many of the solutions spoken about at the state and national levels is often uh, reactive solutions. So, all right, we already have people who are ODing. How do we give the police officers something to help them come back from an o- overdose? Or we have somebody who's addicted to heroin. How do we get them off of heroin. Somebody's been to prison, how do we prevent recidivism? Those are all reactive once someone's addicted. It's interesting to hear how in Montgomery County, you're proactively reaching out to youth before they get addicted to say, how do you actually proactively prevent the opioid epidemic from even occurring in someone's life? Well, that's exactly right. And, and we are going out, look, and I think there's a lot of people that need to join in a public-private partnership regarding this. Like, I think 
there's an overprescription of opiates for pain purposes by the medical community throughout the United States. And I think uh, particularly, uh, I know that uh, the U.S. military service in particular is rewriting and redrafting their own policies for the prescription of opiates to soldiers because they've seen an increasing number of their own becoming addicted to these opiates. But we've got, we've got to talk to our, our uh, uh, medical community about their prescription habits mm-hmm. because they do have a stake in this. And, and we are reaching out to kids. I think last year we spoke to over 20,000 students in Montgomery County were addressed by representatives of my office in the Speak Up Save a Life effort. And now, I'm, you also are directly involved in the classroom, speaking in a local adult, adult learning communities oh, and in a community college, talking about some of the efforts here. So you also are directly getting into the classroom, speaking to students in Montgomery County. Oh, I, I, I've p- spoken to entire schools. I, 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 I think the last one where I did a, an assembly, I think mm-hmm. it was the junior and senior classes, was at Damascus High School. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, uh, the community of Damascus has been touched uh, more often than many. Uh, by the opiate epidemic. Uh, There were when opium and and, and heroin came into Montgomery County and and first reared its head Mm -hmm. and it was taking uh, a toll on on people in this community. It came in through gateways out of Baltimore, through Damascus, and out of Frederick into communities uh, uh, in the the upper county that you typically would not have ever thought of. Poolsville is a community that I don't think people think of as a uh, as a drug haven, but unfortunately that community in Damascus were among the first communities touched. So we're trying to get out there and talk to young people about the fact that that drug is out there. We're talking about the addictive powers, and we're doing this to young people in many instances who've never heard about heroin or not familiar with it. Uh, unfortunately, there are some that are there. Mm-hmm. And we are talking to them about the Good Samaritan laws that exist, mm-hmm. because quite candidly, as a prosecutor, we are trying to talk to people about making the right choices, about not using those kinds of drugs, but we're also talking about, unfortunately, the situation where you, if you are with a person who is beginning to overdose and you do the responsible thing to call the police, we're, we're offering them in Montgomery County under the Good Samaritan laws. We're saying, look, speak up, save a life. If you see someone who's in distress because of drugs and or alcohol and their life is in danger, we will not prosecute you here in Montgomery County. So just to clarify, these say there's two 16-year-olds and say they're, they're doing heroin and the one sees that the other one, and they're both high, and the one sees the other one may be ODing and they call 911. Neither one will be prosecuted for breaking the law since heroin is illegal? Heroin is illegal, but look, I've made the value judgment that saving the life of a young person yeah. who, who has taken this opiate thing that is probably a result of sort of a form of it's, it's, it's an addiction. It's right. an illness. It needs treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would rather save a life mm-hmm. than put somebody in a jail cell. So the and that's my message off- to kids. And they're offered to both of them. It's important. Thing. Absolutely. Both we of them. are not looking to lock people up. Uh, uh, look, if, you're, if your business is, is protecting the community, mm-hmm. the ultimate way you protect a person is keeping them alive. And I will tell you, are there some of these kids that are under the throes of these addictive drugs and things like that, Mm -hmm. that we can rehabilitate, that we can save? The answer is yes, but you can't save them if they're dead. So this is an important message for our listeners because some individuals listening to this episode are parents in Montgomery County with children in Montgomery County. And maybe if they're listening to this episode right now, they should speak to their, consider speaking to their children and say, look, if you're ever in a bad situation, even if you're breaking the law by using illegal substances and someone 
one's life is in danger, call 911. You won't be prosecuted. Both of you will be immune. We're just trying to save your friend's life and give them that kind of safety that net option. Pre- Jordan, I, I appreciate the way you said it. I think you said it precisely the way we're trying to get the message out there. I think it's an important message that needs to be repeated. Mm-hmm. Again, speak up, save a life. Mm-hmm. And we talk about the, the, the good... We call this the Good Samaritan message. Right. Be the Good Samaritan. Save the life of a person who's in distress. And we, we are interested. We prioritize saving that life. And, that's, and I, I appreciate your helping me get that message out. Sure. Now, you mentioned that there's a third challenge that you're addressing today. Well, look, I, I think that there are a, a number of issues as we become an aging population. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and look, you mentioned it earlier. I will tell you there probably is not a single week that goes by that I do not personally go out and speak to members of the senior community. I, I will tell you, I just have a very close relationship with the members of the senior community through so, some of the organizations like Oasis or, mm-hmm. the, or, uh, or OSHA at Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, obviously the Leisure Worlds, the Asbury's. Uh, they have me regularly there. Which are senior living communities, for those who don't know. Senior living communities in Montgomery County, they, they have me out there on a regular basis mm-hmm. to speak. Uh, uh, there are various temples and churches. Uh, you know, St. Mark's, uh, I guess I think I'm speaking at St. Mark's up here in, in Old in, Georgetown Road. In Old Georgetown Road next week. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm at Temple Bethamine again for about the fifth time this year. What's uh, your message to these individuals, these well, congregations? It, well, you know, it, it really it changes from time to time. Sometimes uh, the senior groups may want me just to talk about how they can protect themselves against financial fraud and things like that. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, quite candidly, uh, because we have such a vibrant uh, community in Montgomery County, they may want to talk about uh, issues like mental health and how is the criminal justice system meeting the mental health challenge in, in, the, in the United States. How are we dealing with issues of uh, police use of force, uh, particularly against the minority community, and, and what is the message here in Montgomery County? Uh, uh, what I have found uh, with the extraordinary wealth of abilities uh, of, and, and the, you know, the curiosity of, of the senior community. Mm-hmm. They love to be engaged on these very important National topics. issues. Absolutely. And so, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll want, they'll, they'll ask for a specific topic, you know, fi- financial frauds against the elderly. Well, you know, that's a very sad message because mm-hmm. the reality is about 90% of the times, if you're the victim of a financial fraud and you're... You don't even know it. Well, you don't actually, I think you do learn it, but 90% of the time it's a family member. If really? You're, oh yeah. If you're yes, if you're if, if you're the victim of a financial fraud and you're a senior, don't yeah, Do we have the daycare provider, the external person that periodically comes in, steals some checks, maybe steals some cash? You know, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, there's going to be some degree of relationship between the victim. And I will tell you the big barrier, mm-hmm. and this is part of the lesson. This is part of the things we talk about with seniors. What's the number one barrier to us learning about? whether someone who is a senior has been a victim of a crime. They don't report it. Only about 4% of crimes against senior are reported by the senior themselves. Why don't, why don't they report? Personal pride. These are people of great dignity, of great pride, of great, of great, great accomplishment during their lives. And to, and to have to admit that they've been victimized or swindled by someone, mm-hmm. it's very difficult for them to say that. Mm-hmm. And in many instances, it may be... a a mother or father or a grandparent that's discovering their grandchild stealing from them, their son, their daughter is stealing from them. Someone, and, and that's that's a real. There's an, an emotional. There's an economic. There's a pride basis. Mm-hmm. There's a variety of typical hurdles why these things don't come forward for us. Sure. Uh, and educating the community about it. You know, Jordan, you may now see something and realize. You know what? I, I think there's some something suspicious happening with my grandmother, my aunt, or something. 
And quite candidly, the likelihood of them reporting it is very small. Quite candidly, when cases come to the attention of the police... It's another family member who notices something. Or a neighbor. Or a neighbor. Or a neighbor. It's, it's, it's really a community issue as we begin to protect uh, this generation of, of great Americans mm-hmm. who, who, in some instances, for a variety of reasons are not reporting themselves. Now, on the topic of community issues, a previous guest on Public Interest Podcast was Doug Gansler, who previously held this position. He spoke about community policing. I know that you have a number of initiatives that you're very well known for. I'd specifically like to reference and allow you to elaborate upon your establishment in 2007 of a gang prosecution unit, in 2009 your establishment of a truancy court, and a drug court also being established in Montgomery County. There are three distinct uh, legacy items that you are responsible for in, uh, introducing into Montgomery County, and I think which are very strongly associated with your name. Would you mind speaking for a moment to our listeners about how these three different uh, action items came to be and what you're hoping to accomplish with them? Well, I, I'm going to address each one of the three you say, but I, I'm, going to, I'm going to preempt your question by saying to you, I'm very, very proud of the most recent effort and we've established for the very first time mental health courts here in, in Montgomery County. Mm-hmm. They've been established. Uh, uh, we were studying them for about the last two years. Uh, we had some great. We had some reluctance uh, from various members within the, the the structure of the criminal justice system to the establishment of mental health courts. But with a public-private-private uh, uh, partnership, we've gotten the thing off the ground. Our uh, mental health courts are 100% full already within one year in the district court, and we are nearing capacity in the circuit court. We are one of only two jurisdictions in the state that have a mental health capacity to divert people out of the criminal justice system, find an alternative to incarceration, to try to deal with the real root issue of why people are in the criminal justice system. Why is that important? Because I will tell you that if you go across America and in Montgomery County, we're very close to this number. One out of three people incarcerated in America are there predominantly because they have a mental health issue. And if you do not deal with the mental health issue, you are going to have revolving door justice where you'll see the same person again and again. We had one young man last year before we started the mental health court was in and out of our jail 26 times in one year. That must have cost the taxpayers a lot of money. It does cost the taxpayers a lot of money, and it's not very effective. And we, we look, we need to stabilize housing, medication, and if we can possibly find jobs for these people. And so we now have a mental health court. I'm very proud of that. And I will tell you, it's one of the best things we've done. And it is, it is an enormous challenge for criminal justice at every level. Police, prosecutors, they estimate that one out of every two contacts of police officers in America today mm-hmm. on the streets is with a person with a mental health issue. So mental health is a, a very important issue. Do you have any, before we move on from that, do you have any sense of what happened to that gentleman who was in and out of prison 26 he is now in the He is now in the drug court, and I will tell you, we, he is now in our, I'm sorry, he's now in our mental health court. Mm-hmm. And of all the individuals we've taken in, there's only been one person mm-hmm. of, and it exceeds 100, I think our capacity is 100, we have 100 in there, only one person has been rearrested. Hmm. And this, this, is, this is a population where being rearrested and, and cycling through the system was absolutely constant. Second th- thing that I'm, I'm enormously proud of yeah. uh, is the truancy court program. Look, uh, everything you read about juvenile crime in America, and it is down substantially, and by the way, the, your, your listeners should know that crime in Montgomery County is down substantially over, over the last decade. Mm-hmm. We're down more than 25% in crime. Uh, there are some aberrations, and that particularly includes uh, some of the violent gang crimes that, that I'll lose, and that's why we're trying to do some things differently. But with the truancy court, look, if I can take a young person mm-hmm. and I can get them in a classroom, 
engaged in their education. I know that I'm, I, look, this is a very, I don't mean to be flip about it, but I think if a kid's not in school, it's the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Bad things are going to happen. They're going to make bad choices. You know, they're going to get in inappropriate sexual relationships. They're going to be using drugs. They're going to be committing crimes. They may be joining gangs. I get a young person, mm-hmm. and we started this at two schools. Next year, we'll be at 22 middle schools. We have a partnership with Montgomery County Public Schools. They tell us where the greatest need is, and this program is run out of, and I'm very proud of it, it's run out of my office. We, we do it with my lawyers. We do it with some support from the county council and the county executive that have given us some funding. Uh, funding. Uh, we now have also, along with AmeriCorps and, and a whole host of volunteers, besides going into the, the, these 22 schools on a weekly basis, meeting weekly with these kids who have, have been habitually or chronically truant from schools, finding out what the root causes of, of that are. Sometimes the root causes are very simple. Mm-hmm. They're very simple. Uh, they're a, a latchkey kid who mom or dad goes off uh, to work, and they don't have an alarm clock to wake them up in the morning. We'll give kids an alarm clock. You know, uh, We'll have somebody there uh, to, to, to meet Billy or Susie when they get to school. Study after study says what makes a difference for a child in education is the presence of a meaningful adult once they get to school. We are trying to, pr- to put into place meaningful adults so that these kids love coming to school. We're also, one of, what, are, what, are, what are the other challenges and why do young people sometimes not go, go to class? Yeah. Well, suppose you academically are so far behind, mm-hmm. either English or, or math, mm-hmm. uh, that you're embarrassed. You don't want to be the, the kid who doesn't really get it. Right. So we have after-school tutors that are coming in, volunteering thousands of hours to work with this population to gr- try to get them up to grade level. This is being run out of the state's attorney's office. Yeah, I got, that's really remarkable. I have to comment here, John. So it sounds like a big part of what your office does. Obviously, you would think the Montgomery County State's Attorney is prosecuting bad guys, but it sounds like the bulk of what you're doing is really integrating your office with other county government services. You're working with physicians in order to provide superior mental health services. You're, look, you're working with after-school tutors. You're providing alarm clocks. Sounds like you're kind of a social worker. You're integrating across government, and you're just trying to do whatever it takes to prevent people from getting involved with the criminal justice system to to begin with, you're uh, proactive. Well, well, I'll, I'll accept that, and I'd be, I'd be proud of the mantle of being proactive. And I will tell you, here, I often say my favorite number is zero. Uh-huh. Uh, if I had no young people to prosecute, I would be the happiest guy in the county. My, my goal is to reduce juvenile crime. Uh, my goal is to reduce crimes against the elderly through education of the community. My, my goal is to, re, re, to change that revolving door for the people who are mentally ill. My, jo, my, my goal is to try to get kids to speak up to save a life when, when opiate, opium is a problem in my community, killing individuals. Like, mm-hmm. There's a lot of things where I think we are public educator number one. Mm-hmm. Quite candidly, Jordan, there, there are crimes that are committed against people using the internet, the, the phishing net scams that occur with the internet. Uh, uh, and, and the best way for us to prevent a crime from occurring mm-hmm. is through public education. Because the chances of us being successful at the back end is really scarce. Mm-hmm. Some of these phishing internet scams, they're offshore projects. They're being run from Eastern Europe. They're being run from Africa. And when the money goes abroad, there's the nothing money, you can it, do. There's absolutely no way to do it. So the best way I can protect and keep people that live in my county from being victims is to educate them about some of these traps, some of these scams, and advise them 
hang up the phone, don't answer the phone, you know, uh, say no. Uh, So protection by prevention. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a minute about the uh, gang prosecution units. You said that there are 18 homicides in, 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 uh, over the, in the last year or so. Um, of course, right. only 40 miles away is Baltimore City, which has among the highest murder rate per capita of any location in the United States. Right. A lot of that is gang-related. So juxtaposing one part of Maryland with Montgomery County, you're saying 18 is high, but of course we have the highest in the nation, only 40 miles away. Does that, is, is there any connection there? Is there any difference or anything that Baltimore City can learn from you or anything you're learning from them? And what's going on with the, uh, with the gang prosecution unit? Well, we are changing the focus. I'll begin by saying we initially had an all-crimes approach to prosecuting gangs. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that with this uptick in violence that has occurred so markedly in the last two years, uh, I, I, our strategy is is changing to targeting the leadership in these gangs. I think it's uh, pretty much what the U.S. Attorney's Office did in some uh, massive RICO prosecutions in the late uh, 2009-10 area. Mm-hmm. And, and the, our federal partners, by the way, have been really good partners with us, particularly as uh, in terms of combating uh, gang-related crimes in adults. Unfortunately, as we look today at the picture in Montgomery County, um, more and more, the offenders we see are young. They're not even 18 yet. There's some, in some instances of homicides and murders and violent assaults that we've seen here in the county. People calling the shots are as young as 16. They may be jumped in members of gangs that were jumped in as young as 14. They immigrated to the United States. And now they're here running factions of gangs in various portions of the county. So it's a huge challenge for us. Some of the things that we are confronted with are the result of policies that go beyond Montgomery County. I mean, some of the indivi- some of the kids that we were dealing with that are integrated into these gangs uh, were integrated into the gangs before they ever got here, mm-hmm. you know. And, and unfortunately, some of, uh, some of the kids who have emigrated to the United States are being targeted for gang membership because gangs that are in place that are here see them as low-hanging fruit, easily They're manipul- recruiting immigrants. They're in, uh, recruiting immigrants. They're recruiting immigrants for membership into the gangs. Mm-hmm. I will tell you one of the uh, one of the essential outreach efforts that we have to make here, and I think it's a product, and it's not just us alone. Mm-hmm. I don't like to work alone. I like to work in partnerships. I like to make sure that I'm working along with Montgomery County Public Schools. And relative to the gang issue, I do work with the schools. We have an MOU. We have a strategy for how we're going to deal with those things. I think we have to work with the gang unit of the Montgomery County Police Department. I think we have a role with the rec- Gabe Robinaz, who runs the the, uh, uh, the rec department in Montgomery County, the rec director. Uh, look, I want to know what, what after-school activities do we have for these kids to get them off the street so that they're in, in, involved in some real activities. Uh, none of these issues can be addressed properly without partnerships and a sharing information between the schools, the police, the rec department, health and human services. We've got to work together collectively on these issues, and each should know what the other is doing to make sure that we're doing this as intelligently as possible to provide kids a safe area. There's a playground up by Sutter Mill Apartments in Gaithersburg. I was at a meeting just yesterday, uh-huh. and uh, that uh, there's a place that's a, it's a bunch of trash. It's in this what was a, a play a safe play area up there. They're trying to. I'll tell you this Friday, they're doing a cleanup in that area. They're going to try to clean that area up. They're going to try to take back that safe space, and they, they're going to have a police presence. They want kids who like want to go and play ball or play soccer or you know throw a frisbee or whatever. Right. Have a place to go 
where if you go there, it's not dominated by a gang presence. We're not going to be hazed for joining a gang. We want safe places for our kids to go. So, John, as we approach the end of this podcast, having spoken of so many of your accomplishments, it may be appropriate now to reflect for a moment upon your legacy, upon your motivations, and upon what you, for all the public service work that you've done, and then uh, what you hope will have been the effect, or what you believe is the effect, of all you've done to advance the public interest. Would you mind speaking to an audience of Montgomery County residents about what has driven you and what you hope will be the lasting legacy of your work to advance the public interest in Montgomery County? Well, you know, I'm closing in on having been in this office for about 40 years. Uh, and, and I think that I have seen, uh, I started as a school teacher. I've continued teaching the entire time I've been in this office. I've been 37, or this year is my 38th year at Montgomery College every single semester. I've taught 5,000 people that go to Montgomery College. I have 5,000 former students at the college alone. I think I've stayed connected with the community as it has evolved and it has changed. And it has changed tremendously over the 40 years I've been here. The challenges today are different than the challenges then. Uh, We are more diverse. Uh, We are poorer. We have pocketed, you know, we have different kinds of issues than we had when I first started. Staying in touch with the community. We're older. We're substantially older. Staying in touch with and what inspires me, I think, is the fact that I came here as a prosecutor. I saw myself as a public servant. I I, I run an office now of about 90 lawyers. I know what the challenges are. Uh, I know how difficult it is sometimes to put these cases together. Somebody... Uh, at some point in time, you mentioned Doug Gansler, who, who I worked with before when, he, when Doug was the state's attorney, and I worked for Bob Dean, and I worked for Andy Sonner. You know, I've been here through several administrations. I've learned a lot from everybody that I've served as, as the deputy and as an assistant. And I think that you've got to look for creative solutions that actually work. I think you, you try not to be knee-jerk. You try not to be reactionary. You try not, you know, you understand that in most instances you can't lock your way out of social issues. Uh, you've got to take a multi-faceted approach to it. Uh, I, be- I believe in, begin- in building relationships with people. I can pick up the phone and I can call the county executive for this county any time of the day or night. And he's going to answer the phone. I can do that with the chief. I can do that with the sheriff. I can do that with the head of corrections. I, do- I can do that with the head of record. Gabe Abernaz, I mentioned Gabe again. Also a former guest in the podcast. Yeah, look, a, a guy who runs recreation. I want to know what's going on. I think it's important what we do for these young people to create other alternatives. Uh, so I am proud of the fact that I think we've stayed connected. We've tried to stay progressive. We've tried to look for alternatives to, uh, to incarceration, uh, whether it's teen courts, drug courts, mental health courts, truancy courts, uh, all of these are things that we've done to try to be creative, uh, and and I think that's why our numbers are so good. Look, crime in America is down. Crime in America is down, and it's down for a variety of reasons. I think the cohort of individuals who commit crime is typically thought to be between about 15 and 25, and that cohort that of the American population has simply shrunk. Uh, and as a result, you would have expected the crime would drop somewhat. And crime's down in the country about uh, 11%. Crime's down in the state probably about the same number. Crime's down in Montgomery County. At some point in time, we were down 29%. Mm-hmm. We were three times the national average. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I want to take credit for everything, but we must be doing something right, that we, 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 we have reduced crime when the nation's reduced crime. But we've reduced crime at three times the rate of the nation. And I think, and I think in some measure it's because you've had, you've had good leadership. 
and you've had good conversation between people. You have people that respect one another who talk to each other and listen to each other when it comes to public interest issues. And that has been John McCarthy, Montgomery County State's Attorney, uh, professor, a former president of the Maryland State's Attorney Association and the Montgomery County Bar Association, who's received various recognitions for his service. One of uh, an elite few politicians who really can say that they've met and achieved all of their campaign promises when they first ran for office. He speaks about a, uh, a philosophy of protection by prevention, creating safe areas for kids who may otherwise be at risk for opioid uh, abuse or for gang uh, involvement and, and violent uh, activity. He's about creating solutions that work based upon a network of relationships that he's built over four decades of time and service in Montgomery County. A lot of his success is attributable to integrating government services and not just seeing a siloed criminal justice system within the state's attorney's office, but working with recreation, working with uh, health care and, and, uh, and social services to ensure that uh, all residents uh, within his jurisdiction are able to leave, lead um, healthy, productive, and safe lives. So, John, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jordan. It was a pleasure. Hopefully, you'll have me back again sometime. Thank you. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.